Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with everybody. Uh, you made it to church on the worst day of the year, right? Daylight savings time day. You are heroes. This is the day when we're all sleeping in our nice comfy beds and the society's like, wake up. We changed the rules on you. And so that's terrible. I'm glad you're here at Manhattan Beach. Nice to see you in person. Of course, you know, I love that we're always connected with our Torrance campus during this part of the service. So glad we can be a church in in two different locations. Uh, And then let me greet those who are online. Uh, Oh, also, if you're watching this live online, you are among them. You did pretty good getting up in the morning. (laughs) Uh, But let me say, if you're watching this during the week or if you're a regular online viewer, I know that lots of people check out Journey of Faith before uh, coming physically to the church. I just want to invite you to take that next step. Uh, If you're able, we would love to meet you in person in one of these coming weeks. Uh, We just have a real interest in really knowing uh, the people who are involved and would love to hear more of your story in person. Hey, today we are uh, continuing. It's only week two of our message series called Make Space. And the idea behind this message series is that we are all living busy and full lives, uh, full of all the things we have to do, all the worries that we have. And often that makes us miss the value of making a little bit more space for Jesus. Uh, Now, I was talking to someone this week, and they were saying, it sounds, when you guys say that, it sounds like you're saying, we're very busy, so also add Jesus to the busyness and become even more busy. And that's certainly not the intent. In fact, the message of this series is that if we do make space, make more room for Jesus, he actually helps us better navigate our other busynesses in life. In fact, can help us establish new and healthy rhythms spiritually and physically uh, and emotionally. So, really want to make this a good invitation, not another checkbox uh, to check off in your life. Jesus wants to bring you a full, a meaningful, a purposeful life. Uh, the way we're framing this series is that every week we're looking at, even if, even if it's a uh, subconscious thing, an unhealthy spiritual practice that some of us are engaged in uh, without even knowing it. And that, let, me, let me show you this uh, before I'm going to switch it up on the slide. Uh, Our our one today is ignoring or minimizing my past. That we live in a culture that says, hey, let's go up and to the right. That's not who you are anymore. Let's leave that behind. Even if there's danger, there's challenge, there's trauma, there's drama in your life. That's not who you are. Let's just look forward to a new positive future. And that, that can be very good. There is some wisdom there because we do want to move into a hopeful future. But... The problem with that, the dark side of only doing that, is that if we minimize, if we ignore our past, what we're actually doing is leaving behind a big portion of what makes us, us. And God loves all of us. God loves to teach us and bring us into a place of understanding of how he wants to bring us into a new future and connected with him. So we shouldn't be minimizing our past. Instead, what we're going to be challenging each other today is to do this. Instead, letting God redeem my past. Letting him, uh, letting us look back into what we've experienced and how God can use those things, not change them, not delete them, but instead can help us focus more on a positive future with him. Thinking so much about my own past this year uh, made me remember an experience I had just a few years ago, but it actually starts all the way back at the beginning of my story. I was born in 1979. Now that sounds like the beginning, like I'm going to tell you from then on, but it's, I skip around, so don't worry. Uh, 1979 I was born, so I really grew up as a child of the 80s. My early childhood was thoroughly 80s. And the 80s, thank you, brother, you're with me here. Uh, and you look good, so that guy's great. Okay, uh, so... 
in the 80s, we were at the, a turning point in our culture when it came to the accessibility of technology. And it really sticks out to me, as an example, the way that baby pictures were handled. Uh, as an example, some of you are my parents' age, and in their generation, cameras, home cameras were not as prevalent, and so my parents only have a scant handful of baby pictures uh, of their growing up time. My kids, on the other extreme, have billions of pictures of their childhood. They, every breath that they took, we were snapping more pictures because that was the, the era of moving into digital cameras and then cameras on our phones where it's like, if my kids want to see any moment of their life, I'm like, Google Photos has it. Let's just look it up. I can show you what you were doing at that exact moment. My generation was right in the middle where cameras were becoming more accessible, but we weren't a camera-obsessed society, at least at home, yet. And so I have a one beautiful photo album of pictures from my early years, my childhood, uh, that I, I treasure. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to have one beautiful photo album from it. But what I certainly did not have, and this might be a surprise to some of you younger people in the room, I had no video of myself before late middle school or high school. I had never seen myself in a video from my childhood. So I, th I thought that that didn't exist until one day a family friend called up my parents and said, hey, do you remember when me and my family visited your family in 1984? My parents were like, yeah, I guess I remember that. And they remembered that when he was with our family visiting, he had brought along his favorite new gadget that he had, which was a VHS camcorder, the largest thing that ever existed. He brought that over to our house. And in 1984, he filmed footage of our two families playing together. This he didn't tell me, he didn't tell our family until I was 40 years old. I didn't know this video existed, but he sent a VHS tape to my family and we sat down, my extended family, at my parents' house where they still have a VCR plugged in, which is crazy to me, but we put it in and pushed it and there we went. And on the screen was video of, my, I'd never seen myself in moving pictures. <laughs> Here's what was on the video, just little clips of it. This is little Alex when I was five and a half-ish. Now, a couple thoughts struck me. First of all, those jackets. Look at those 80s jackets. That are some wonderful... Look at that's like a sentimental Muppet shot, I feel like, there. Um, listen, first thought, those jackets. That really stuck out to me. My parents... Oh, we lived in New Jersey. That's why I was wearing a Yankees cap. My parents are big Yankees fans. Um, second thing is, watching this video, I was like... I am that exact same person still. <laughs> that kid in that video was do running the same gags, was walking around with the same gait that I still have, was making the same faces that I still have trouble controlling <laughs> in my own life right now. I was actually struck with like, oh Jesus, there been any progress since I was five and a half as a human being? Um, but then something even bigger stuck out to me. Then this is what relates to our message today, which is I am so glad that this one video exists. But I'm also very glad that so much else in my childhood and my growing up years was not captured on video. Because I would not want to revisit key moments of pain or hurt in my past. Imagine if in the mail showed up a VHS tape of some of the darkest times where I had done something or said something that broke a relationship with someone or uh, hurt my relationship with God? Or what if a tape showed up in which some pain that was caused by me was captured?
captured and I had to relive that moment. It stuck out to me, this idea that that mode, that mindset is very much, we don't just worry about VHS tapes showing up. We worry that our minds might remember something that's happened to us in the past. Boy, I hope I never think about that thing again. Today, I actually want us to take a big, deep breath together, metaphorically, although if you need to do that physically, that's wonderful, and settle into the idea that we are going to be brave and look back together. The encouragement that I want to give you early in this message is that God wants you to explore even the dark times, even the painful times in your life. It's a process. It's a challenge to do that. But those parts are sometimes the parts where God can be found the most clearly. And Instead of running away, instead of minimizing them, he wants to redeem them. In fact, let me spool that up into our main point for today. We should see our past as part of a good future with God. Your past is not something to be pushed aside. Your past is you, and it's part of what God wants to use to bring you into a good future. We're going to explore this concept uh, by looking at one of famous characters in the Bible named Joseph. Now, this is not the Mary and Joseph, parents of Jesus, Joseph. Uh, this, that was around the year zero that we celebrate the Christmas story. This is 1700 or 1800 years before that in the Old Testament. So 18, 1700 BC in an area of the world that was then called Canaan. Canaan is now a, a zone in Syria. Uh, and this This person, Joseph, was a young man born into what would become a very famous family. Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers in a family, uh, and his father was named Jacob. Jacob's also very famous in the Bible because his name eventually gets changed to Israel. Israel as a man with his 12 sons, those, the descendants of those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. They made up the nation, the family of God at one point. Joseph was the 11th of those brothers. Now, even though that sounds like a, a, a high religious pedigree, these were messed up people. These were people who were God followers, but really, really had very human stories. And we're going to explore Joseph's in particular uh, through this tool. Some of you might recognize this because uh, we talked about it at a breakout at the summit that some of you were at yesterday. This is called a storyline diagram, and it represents your life or anyone's life. It starts here with with your birth is where the story begins for you. And the idea would be that you would plot out in your life by looking back what positive experience has you had, what landmark moments have you experienced in your life, and what negative landmark shaping experiences have you had, and you would walk through that. So I'm going to show you this with Joseph's story in mind. As an example, Joseph's story as a young man starts very positive when we start reading about it. It starts in Genesis chapter 37. I would love for you to read this story in the Bible this week because it's fascinating. We're only going to hit the highlights uh, today. In Genesis 37, his story starts out positive. Look at, look at how it starts. Jacob, remember his dad, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. 
Now, in the original Hebrew that this was written in, a beautiful robe is a unique phrase, and so it's been a challenge for uh, people to translate it. Sometimes it's a beautiful robe or a coat of many colors. This is the line, this is the inspiration, Joseph's life, for the lavish Broadway musical, (laughs) Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Some of you grew up in the era when this was uh, made. There's Donny Osmond, starring as Joseph himself. Actually, a surprisingly accurate, faithful rendition of the story that we're going to tell today here at church. So if you are like, I don't want to listen to Alex, I want to listen to lavish Broadway musicals. Wrote it. Somebody must know. Tim Rice and somebody must know. Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's what it is. Okay. Let's start plotting, not the musical, Joseph's actual life starts at a high point with his father's love. I would put that as a, if you're, when you're a kid and your parents show you love, that is a gigantically huge thing for you. Some of you experience that yourself. Now, Joseph's love from his father came with an unbelievable dark side to it. Here's what it was. Uh, It has to do with his brothers. But Joseph's brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word. Joseph is living in this tension of, yes, love from his dad, but also back on his diagram with this mode of sibling tension. Have you experienced that in your life? These two wrestling powers were very significant for him. In in fact, let me just take a moment uh, to talk about a family dynamic. Uh, You know, just like I do, that in our culture, there's often debate in a healthy way about which, which things form us as people. Which was more formative? Is it nature, how we're born, or nurture, how we're raised? Now, that's a wonderfully healthy conversation to be having, but on both of those sides, they would still admit either way, the nurture, the, the, our experience as young people in our family of origin has an outsized impact on who we become in our life. It is a powerful force that frames and shapes us. And that's not just what did I literally experience in my home, although it's a massive part of it. It also can be a, an echo or a reflection of of habits and patterns of behavior down two or three generations passed on to us. Some of you have been given those echoes from the generations before you that gave you a harder lot in life right off the bat. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. You may be dealing with the generational challenges that were handed down to you of poor marriages, authority, or even worse, sexual abuse or addictive behaviors like alcoholism. Some of you are struggling with what was passed down to you in unhealthy relationship dependency. In your life, you started with some of these as your default. Your lot in life was challenging because what was handed down to you through your family of origin. You need to know if that's you, you are among many friends here. We are a very normal church where people have these exact struggles. You do not need to pretend you don't. Part of our story is that we walk through these things and we make a journey together. That's Joseph's lot. Joseph's lot was unfair at the beginning. He was born into a situation of sibling tension. Now, there's another high here. Let's go back to a positive for Joseph. For some reason, God gives Joseph an incredible spiritual gift of having prophetic dreams that he's able to interpret. Now, he doesn't quite know how to frame this as a young person of 17 or 18, but one day he has a dream and he probably unwisely tells his angry brothers about it. He's like, guys, guess what? I had a prophetic dream. In this dream, all of us 12 brothers were standing around and we each had a bushel of wheat. And you guys' wheat jumped away from you and started bowing down to me. 
And his brothers are like, oh yeah? And then he's like, but get this, I had another even better dream where not only did your bushels of wheat bow down, but all of the stars and the moon and the sun bowed down to me. Everybody's going to worship me someday. And his brothers were not thrilled with this prophetic dream that he was having. In fact, it moved from anger towards him to they decided to murder him. They decided that they wanted to kill Joseph. They were laborers that worked far from home. They came up with a plan where they threw him for a while into a dry well so that they could come up with a way to kill him until miraculously one of his older brothers had a whiff of good sense, sort of, and said, you know what, guys? It's going to be so messy to murder him. <laughs> Let's sell him into slavery instead because at least then we could make some money back off of this jerk. And the brothers are like, great idea. And they go through with it. They sell their brother into slavery with some passing traders who are on their way to Egypt. In that next couple days, they kill a goat and dip Joseph's coat that they've taken from him into the blood, take it home to Jacob, their father, and convince Jacob that Joseph has been killed by wild animals. What they do is they delete him from existence in their family. They, they thankfully don't go through with the murder, but I don't think it's much higher on the rankings of stuff that could happen to you as a young man. Let's put it up here. Sold into slavery has got to be low on anyone's list. Hey, listen, I have never been the target of murderous aspirations by my siblings. Thank goodness. But, and I'm hoping that you have not either. That would be a nice thing to know. But... I, I do want to show you here at this moment, here's not, let's get rid of Joseph. Here's my timeline. Here's my storyline diagram that I've been working on for 10 years. You can see I used a guide to help me about 10 years ago start this process. Again, I've never been sold into slavery, but I have very high points. And in my life, I have negative eight, nines, and tens. And I'm glad some of these are probably obscure, hard for you to see. My handwriting is also bad. That's helpful so that you don't know every dirty detail of my life. But hey, let me say to also, if you've been here for any amount of time at Journey of Faith, you might not realize this. You actually do know some of my lowest times. With same thing with Pastor Jason. When, he, when we preach, we have made a decision that we want to share who we really are at Journey of Faith. This is not like a, hey, learn from me because I'm so different and more qualified to be preaching from God's word. Listen, I've got ups and downs just like every normal human being. That's part of our journey together. And what we have found is that sharing those things in a context of connection and family is actually beneficial. In fact, let me put it like this. We've learned this. Exploring your past is difficult, but it's safer when we do this together. I do not mean that we're going to call you each up one by one and you have to share all, air all your dirty laundry. That would take way too much time. Uh, but I, I do mean to say I want to challenge you to open up to your, your friendship group, your group, uh, your life group, or maybe that's a care group that you're part of. Who is it in your life that you could begin to journey with together, even exploring some of the most difficult things? Um, let's get back to Joseph here. Joseph, again, sold into slavery. He ends up uh, working for a master uh, in Egypt. Uh, and God uses him even during that time. His master finds him trustworthy and wise. And actually, there's kind of an upside for Joseph. He gets promoted to the head of household. He actually runs this guy's estate for a while. It's, a, it's an interesting time in, jo in Joseph's life until the master's wife uh, tries to seduce him. And Joseph resists, 
She accuses him of rape falsely and gets him arrested and thrown into an Egyptian jail. This guy is not having the best of times here. In this Egyptian jail, though, the similar thing happens where he, again, is still so trustworthy and wise that even in the jail, they put him in charge. They put him in charge of the other prisoners. Now, it's during this time. Can we put that one up there, the next one? Yeah, jailer, he has the jailer's respect. During that time, God reignites this spiritual gift of his to interpret dreams. In fact, he meets two fellow uh, people in jail, uh, jailmates, and they had both previously worked for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they start having these odd dreams. Joseph says, I actually have some, some work that I've done in the dream space. Let me hear what you've got. They tell him, and he again accurately predicts based on their dreams what's going to happen to him. To one guy, he's like, man, I'm so sorry. Your dream means that in a couple days you're going to be beheaded. It comes true, and the guy is beheaded for his crimes. To the other guy, he's like, hey, good news for you, buddy. Your dream means that you're going to be reinstated to your job as cupbearer to Pharaoh. In just a few days, you're going to be back at your job. That ends up coming true. In fact, before the guy leaves, Joseph's like, listen, listen, I'm so glad it's going to work out for you. Will you remember me? Mention me to Pharaoh so I can get out of here? The guy's like, for sure, and then totally forgets. In fact, for two more years, Joseph stays in this Egyptian jail, and it's a terrible situation for him. Then, a couple years later, those two years later, something even more odd happens. The Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt, starts having an odd dream over and over. In his dream, let me try to explain to you, the Nile River that runs through Egypt, the dream is that he sees seven fat, healthy cows come out of the Nile River. It's a pretty good start of a dream if you're an Egyptian pharaoh. But then he sees seven nasty, and they eat, they swallow up the good cows. He is really disturbed by this dream. He's asking everybody in his court, anybody know what this dream that I keep having could mean? All of them are flummoxed until that cupbearer is like, wait a minute, I know a guy who you should talk to. And he convinces the Pharaoh to call Joseph from jail. I need you to picture this scene. This is Joseph, the young man, foreign slave, who had been in jail for years on false rape charges, suddenly in the court of the most powerful person in the world at that time. In his experience, he was standing in front of the most powerful person that existed. And he... And the Pharaoh asks him, hey, I've heard you've got ability to interpret dreams. Here's what I'm dreaming. Can you interpret it? And Joseph was an arrogant young man, but by the time he gets here, his, his response to Pharaoh is so humble. Here's what he says. He says, listen, it's beyond my power to do this, to interpret your dream, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So he invites Pharaoh, tell me, I'll ask God, and we'll see what God says. Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph's like, I know what it is. God is giving you a message. Here's what it is. Those seven fat cows represent the next seven years are going to be a time of prosperity in Egypt where crops are bumper crops. It's going to be wonderful. Those seven ones that followed, those nasty cows, represent seven years later where it will be a time of famine and disaster in Egypt. What God is giving you insight into, Pharaoh, is that you're, you need to hire someone to manage the kingdom so we store up crops in the good times so we can help ourselves survive in the bad seven years. You need to find someone trustworthy and wise that you can hire, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh almost immediately says, done, I hire you, Joseph. 
And he puts him as second in command to all of Egypt. We're going to plot this pretty high on the list. Joseph ends up commanding Egypt itself. Now, this would be a wonderful storybook ending. What a nice Broadway musical that would make. But there is one last twist in the story, which is all of Joseph's predictions come true. There are seven years of bumper crops. It's wonderful. They store up grain. Then the famine does indeed begin. And thank goodness, praise the Lord, Joseph and his wisdom stored up enough for them to get through. But halfway through those famine years, Joseph's family in Canaan runs out of food. And they make their way to Egypt to talk to the pharaohs and ask for rations. They show up in Pharaoh's court to talk to whoever's command, and it's Joseph. These brothers bow before them. Their wheat bushels bow before his wheat bushel. Everything that as a young man God gave him insight to happens. Not only his brothers, but basically the known world to Joseph, as uncountable to him as the stars in the sky, are bowing down to his authority. In that moment, can you imagine the power he had over these evil brothers that have treated him so badly? These are the guys that hated him. These are the guys that almost murdered him. They only didn't do it because it would have been too sloppy for them. And they needed some extra change, so they sold him into slavery. The power he had over them is immense, but for some reason, because he was a God follower, that's the reason, he takes this moment, and you can almost tell that he's doing an internal work, sorry, to look back at his chart. He considers his life. And he doesn't just look at the positives, the top ones. He says, what about these? Where was God here? In fact, that's the question we can almost hear him answering, asking in Scripture. He asked this question, where was God and what was he doing in my darkest times? I I hope you've asked this question in your life. God, where were you? Now, let me speak for all of us and say, sometimes we don't say it with much niceness. We say it with like, God, what the heck? Where were you? I was hurting. Were you far away? Listen, if you've ever asked that question of God, even with that tone, you need to know that God can handle that type of question. It is a good question. In fact, we see it asked by biblical authors over and over through Scripture. Here's King David, who would later rule this gigantic kingdom. He says it too in this beautiful poem. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Have you ever felt that? This line was echoed by Jesus himself as he was dying on the cross. Now Jesus, of course, knew the end of this psalm. I'd love for you to read that. When David says, Lord, you are, you are with me. You will redeem me. You will save me. Jesus knows the end of the psalm. And I don't, I don't know if you've experienced that, but you can't get to the end of the psalm without asking the question, God, where are you? Now, Joseph, as he looks back at his past, he finds God in his darkest moments. He messes around with his brothers for a little while because they don't recognize him. It's an interesting, funny sibling story. You should read about it in Genesis. But then afterwards, he comes clean. Here's what Joseph says to his brothers. He said, Joseph could stand it no longer. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. 
to preserve your lives. This is the most self-aware, God-aware statement I can't even imagine. He, he makes it even more clear in a couple of chapters later. He says, don't be afraid of me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Remember, the question that Joseph needed to wrestle with in that moment is this. Here's the question again. Where was God? What was he doing in my darkest times? There's really three options to this. First of all, the first option could be that God doesn't love you. He abandoned you in those dark times. Friends, let me tell you, that could not be farther from the truth because God is, his character is love. He loves you so much, not just generally. He loves you personally so much that he sent his only son to die, to take the punishment that we all deserve for our wrongdoing, and we can be reconnected with God, receive God's forgiveness if we would only believe in him. If we would only believe in him, we're granted eternal existence with him. It's an incredible act of love, but it's an incredible example of everything God is in love. He has not abandoned you. He did not leave you, which leaves us really with only two valid options. First option is that God wants to use the things you've been through for a very specific purpose to help you or others. That's the, that's the conclusion that, J, that Joseph comes to. He says, you meant it for evil, but I know now that God specifically meant that for good. That is an unbelievable gift of clarity for Joseph. Let me give you the heads up that, it, that, that kind of clarity, I, I envy Joseph his clarity. Some of you who have been Christian faithfully for a long time, you know that's rare. That we're like, oh, I can connect the dot very clearly from the difficult season to how God used it. That's often a challenge. So let me tell you the second valid option, which is, I think, almost universally the case, which is that God did not abandon you. He is with you. He was walking through those dark and broken times with you. He cares about you, and his nearness is available to help us journey on, to help us continue and process and grow and learn and share. That does not, now his ultimate goal is to, in the end, he will redeem everything. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will make all things right. But now those things are mysterious, but what is not mysterious is that he is with you. He loves you. If you are in a place of prison, if you are in a place of despair, God is with you. He is walking with you. He loves you. In fact, let me, let me just give you quickly two, two truths that we need to keep in mind about this. Here's this. God's bigness is way greater than our circumstances way bigger than our circumstances. He is so big that he is able to love you bigly. That's not a word. But let, let, let me show you the chart again. The, the storyline chart, I want you to start this this week, but it's kind of misleading because this is the, your birth. This is not the beginning of the story, friends. This is the beginning of your story, beginning of my story. This is not the beginning of God's story. God wasn't like, well, I'll just wait around and do nothing until that person shows up. Instead, God is active and moving, and then when you did show up, he is involved everywhere, not just in the highlight good moments. He's, he's, he is walking through us, walking with us through our lives in a major way. In fact, I've been beating around the bush with this application. Here it finally is on a slide. Here's what you need to do. You need to start a personal storyline diagram. You need to do the work. 
You need to do the work. Maybe that's with a friendship group or a therapist or start on your own where you would make a timeline and say, here are the things that that exist in my life. Where was God in those times? How might he use those in my life? God's story is bigger than kind of the funnel vision that I know the pain can make in our lives. Here's the second thing I want to share just in this before we close. Our past can empower us to be a blessing to others. There are things that we go through that will help us love someone else better. Joseph experienced that. Remember, he was in prison next to the very people that his wisdom later as he commanded Egypt would rescue. He rescued hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, and he knew exactly who those people were because he had sat right next to them. There's a verse where he says, we already read it, let me read it one more time. Remember, he says, God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. It wasn't just for Joseph, it was for those people. I want to tell you that the biggest inspiration personally in my life right now with that theme is, uh, is what my wife has been experiencing been experiencing in her life. Some of you know my wife. Uh, her name is Erin. She sings on the worship team uh, over at the Torrance campus. Um, my wife is incredible. Uh, I, I love her. She has innate sk- talents in uh, counseling and helping, especially young women, uh, to find life direction and really navigate the challenges of life. She was a high school English teacher for a long season, uh, and she was wonderful at it. Uh, but some of you know, because you've heard part of the story, that about 10 years ago, uh, my wife faced an, a really deep and dark season of a struggle with anxiety and depression. And that was a decade ago, and, and it was a very scary season for us, for her. Um, and in that season, it was a terrifying thought to think that the depression could rob her of the ability or the opportunity to share the gifts that God had given with her, especially in helping others. Um, That darkest season, I wish it could go longer than negative 10 on our, uh, that, that dark season put us in places we never thought we would be caring for her, finding the help she needed, uh, rediscovering the footing that she needed. I remember some of the darkest times were sitting in hospital crisis uh, intake in places where she was really struggling and we were sitting in intake areas of chairs just like you go to the doctor for and there were, those rooms were filled with young women going through traumatic mental health experiences. And I remember, I remember being with my wife. She did not need to theorize about what other people struggle with the people that she wanted to reach and love in her life, she was sitting next to them. She was them. And I I am so happy to report that I cannot tell you the transformation that's been going on in her life. I mean, that first couple years, finding the correct therapy and balance and medication and the the strength we needed and God's help, uh, I mean, if you've met her, this might be a surprise to you to know this because she is doing thriving so much in her life right now. In fact, God has allowed her to come back and she spent the past couple years, uh, she's two months out of finishing up her second master's to become a therapist herself. Um, because she feels called to the work of continuing to help especially young women, but all all people that come through her doors of... Now listen, she didn't sit in a classroom and theorize about the hurts of people. God is going to use those darkest of experiences 
where she can say, I know exactly what you're going through. Let's walk together with God's help through this. It is an inspiration to me that she has, been, she has gotten there because she looked back, because she explored with Jesus and his love, she explored what those darkest moments could mean for sharing with others, for bringing life where there was no life. I want to challenge you to do the same. I really want to challenge you to set aside the time to begin this process of looking back. Hold someone's hand while you do it. Find places of peace where you can begin this. God wants to guide us into a a good future, not despite our past, but with that past in mind. Hey, I want to skip ahead a few slides. I'm going to, I want to close here. We're going to just go to the review. Let me review what we've talked about today. We should see our past as part of a good future with God. Why? It's because God's bigness is greater than our circumstances, and our past can empower us to be a blessing to others. We're going to finish today's service just with one more song, a time where they're just going to play some instrumental music. I just want us to sort of settle in, contemplate for a little while, and then we're going to close with a song. Uh, So both here and at Torrance, you're going to see the bands load behind me. Uh, while Let me just close with this. Let me go back to that slide with my timeline on it. Here's my timeline. Remember I told you I've been working on this for 10 plus years. Um, when I started this, this document was a place of terror for me. You might be feeling that, of like writing stuff down about the worst experiences of my life. I can't even imagine. I'm with you. I was with you. Now, I have been working on this with friends, with with input in my life, with people who love me, with the love of Jesus behind me for 10 years, been adding to it, been thinking through themes, and you know what? Now, I see God here and here. I certainly see him here. That's a piece of cake. But I see him here. I see him here. God is with me. God is with you. God is with us when you think you're in your darkest moment. God loves you. He wants to walk beside you, and he wants to bring you into a good future in connection with him. Let me pray. They're here. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll sing together. Precious God, thank you for your plan. It is unknown to us in so many ways, and yet, through your grace, Lord Jesus, will you share some of that? In this processing that you are calling us to do, will you allow us to uncover the ways that you want to use our stories, even our times of hurt, to help, to bless, to bring life where there was no life. Thank you for the Bible full of stories like this and people we know who have been redeemed by your power, Lord Jesus. And so we go into this next week. Lord, help us be brave. Help us to look with sobriety at what we've experienced and give those things to you in a way that would help us find you more and more, be more and more connected to you in our lives. I pray these things today in your name, Jesus. Amen.